Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast with Tom Underwood. Armed with truth and knowledge, your journey to a healthy lifestyle can be obtained. Preventative wellness, quality nourishment, and daily fitness routines dramatically improve your outlook on life as a whole. And you'll find the support and info you need to accomplish a healthier lifestyle here. Together, we can empower each other along our journey to an amazing you. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whenever you may be listening to this episode of the Rebel Health Coach Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Millie Lytle. She holds her license in the District of Columbia, practices virtually and in New York City. Originally from Canada, Dr. Millie earned her undergraduate degree from the University of Toronto, her doctorate from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine, and her master's in public health from Hamburg School of Applied Science in Germany. She is a published researcher, avid public speaker, and author of Eating for Meaning. She is a director of NatMed Coach and the host and curator of Virtual Health Club, providing supervised self-care to help you stay out of the doctor's office. She sits on the medical advisory board for the School of Applied Functional Medicine, which is where I went to school and still continue to learn through them. And as a practitioner with Nutra Metrics, Dr. Millie specializes in helping those address chronic fatigue and mind, body, spiritual well-being. Thank you and enjoy this episode. Dr. Millie Lytle, welcome to the Rebel Health Coach podcast this afternoon. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. I've been we've been talking about this for a while, and it finally came to fruition. So I'm happy about that. And today we're going to talk about a topic that everybody needs: self care. But we're going to talk a little bit more into the role of self care for the treatment of chronic disease. Which, before we go into that, I want you to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. And what drove you into becoming a naturopathic doctor? Okay, yeah. Well, we all have a personal story, I think, when we enter holistic medicine, especially when I entered school, it was late 90s. So it wasn't as popular as it even is now, you know. So I had been raised healthy on a healthy diet. My parents kind of lived a little bit off the grid and so to speak, that we had an organic garden and we composted and none of this stuff was trendy at the time. And uh, so I kind of grew up in a household where we, my parents fed us, you know, based on Adele Davis, she was a nutritionist in the 60s and 70s, kind of came out of the hippies movement. Okay. And so I think that really impacted me as I was growing up. My Parents made their own bread and sold it, very dense, you know, natural peanut butter we ate from the health food store. So all of this really did influence me, maybe without even me knowing. And then when I went to college, I moved away from home and I kind of was immersed or inserted into mainstream food and culture, I think, for the first time. And by the time I was 20, I had like a chronic viral health condition. And so that came on... I mean, I guess I'll just be completely transparent. I had HPV. I had a very uh, severe case of HPV, which was bordering on cervical cancer. 
and I was only 20 years old. And um, at the time I was working, I was in college, I was doing my undergrad, but I was working in a, as a juice bar tender. So I was, you know, making carrot juice and stuff and serving it to people. And there was a naturopathic medicine clinic in the back. And I was working with, uh, there were naturopathic medicine students on the floor and there was a, there was a vitamin store there. So I was kind of in this, I was kind of in this one-stop clinic, shopping depot, juice huh. bar, um, without really knowing anything about what was going on around me, other than the fact that I was making healthy juice and just having fun doing that and drinking juice and being in college and everything. But at one point I revealed my, you know, my diagnosis and one of the naturopathic medical students said, you know, there's this naturopathic doctor, her name is Tori Hudson, and she has a protocol for that. And that's actually an STD, which wasn't even uh revealed at the time that HPV was the cause of cervical cancer. So the medical system hadn't even kind of put those together yet or that wasn't being tested for. And so naturopathic medicine was the only place that I'd really had answers on that. And of course, the doctors wanted to do surgery and, you know, they were even talking potential hysterectomy and all of this kind of thing. Wow. And so, yeah, and I was, you know, I was only 20. So... I decided to try this really intensive vitamin protocol, which was tons and tons of vitamins. And I just took it religiously. And for four months, I think I was taking like 10 milligrams of folic acid per day and 100,000 international units of vitamin A and even like levels that I don't even, I don't even recommend that to patients because I don't think that we need to be on that high a level in order to cure it. But so all the antioxidants, ACE, selenium, zinc, and also doing some like brassica family green tea and um, uh, broccoli family vegetables. And so that was the protocol. And so four months later, I went back and everything was normal. Wow. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> like they were talking hysterectomy and now they're talking, you know, it's all better. And uh, in the meantime, also, you know, I never looked better. I never felt better. Like my skin was great. I kind of saw this like, physical transformation for myself as well. I felt great. I felt great doing it. And I think that that was when I first started feeling like belief that, and just this awareness that there is this other type of medicine and that it is something that I could potentially participate in. I mean, at the time I was studying women's health. I was studying from a sociological standpoint. I was studying film theory. I thought I was going to go into feminist theory, but I did have, I had, you know, done the pre-med track. So I had all the credentials. So then when it came time, somebody just said, you know, you could be a naturopathic doctor and at the same place, at the same juice bar. And um, I looked into that and then all of a sudden I was enrolling that. I was dropping out of a master's program and I was going to naturopathic medical school instead. So, Wow, that's cool. Where did you go to school at? So I went to the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. Okay. I grew up in Canada and I was living in Toronto at the time. I was at the University of Toronto and then I graduated from there and then I went to the Canadian College. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you know, this this topic of self-care is something that uh every important to everyone, as I said earlier, especially those for chronic illness. And if we talk about chronic illness and disease, you know, most of the people that get diagnosed with a chronic illness or a disease start going down a very deep rabbit hole of feeling very sorry for themselves. And, yeah. and aren't sure where to go with it. 
And we all, we, you and I both know that Dr. Google is a great tool, but it could also be a, a very vast wasteland of, of rabbit holes. And uh, so this is a very important subject for everybody. But, you know, with chronic disease, we have to watch it. So where do we start as a practitioners t- to help people with chronic illnesses or diseases learn more about self-care and how do we get them started so that they understand it? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, so it it depends as practitioners, we only see the patient when they come into us. So depending on what type of practitioner you are, you know, you're a functional medicine health coach and I'm a naturopathic doctor. So honestly, by the time people generally come in to see me, they already have an entire team. They've already seen their primary care provider. They've already done all the Google searching. They might be years into their chronic disease by the time they see me. Okay. So depending on what type, whereas primary care providers, they're facing these symptoms from the very beginning and might have been trained not to even, you know, might be trained to diagnose. But if there's no diagnosis, then they actually can't do this. And so this gap between like where patients start having symptoms when they start having symptoms and when they're ultimately diagnosed can be years in, t- in terms of some chronic diseases, especially as we're seeing you know, multiple autoimmune diseases or people are experiencing like symptoms of syndromes like leaky gut syndrome without having a real medical diagnosis. They can be caught in this void. So I think where practitioners can start depends on uh, what type of practitioner you are what niche you have in terms of your chronic disease patients, you know, when they come to see you ultimately, if you have a specialty or if you're just a generalist or you tend to get people early on or you tend to get people late in the game. I've always gotten people late in the game. Okay. Um, and so developing a team is really important. Like, no, as a primary care provider or as a, even an adjunct care provider, you have to recognize that it's not only the work that you're going to do in your own practice that's going to help the individual. So it's not only about just giving them things or providing tools. It's also about extending to them where care is going to happen the majority of the time, which is at home, right? Yeah. And so there's been lots of research done on the fact that, for instance clinics that acknowledge that it's not a top-down medicine approach to taking care of one's patient when it comes to chronic disease do better than practitioners who just try to take it all on their own. Because if you try to take responsibility for the entirety of your patient's disease, you're probably going to come up short. You really have to empower the patient because a lot of it does come down to how the patient's behaving, how the patient's reflecting on their own symptoms, how much time the patient's responding and taking responsibility for addressing you know, their, their emotions, their physical symptoms, and how much uh, yeah, responsibility and attention they're kind of willing to give it. Okay. Now, many chronic disease patients are willing to give it a lot of time and attention, um, but there's a sweet spot in there that I think every individual kind of has to find. Right. Self-care is one of the things I struggle with a lot, but I do uh, make time for it. And of course, I don't have chronic disease at this point, thank goodness. But it's, a hard, it's hard to take care of. And I think, you know, what is the role of a practitioner or a naturopathic doctor in self-care? And, you know, kind of 
leads off of that question a little bit. What what is your, our the role for us or you to as as helping them move forward? Well, the role of a naturopathic doctor is to support the patient's wellness. Support the patient in growing their wellness, growing their health promotion. Also developing a plan that's going to work for them in that they can address their symptoms as well as lead a healthier, better quality lifestyle and address their mind, body, and spiritual aspects, you know, needs. Help to guide the patient on where they're maybe falling short, what they need to work more on, and provide evidence as well as clinical experience that the patient can rely on so that they're not just shooting in the dark, trying everything that you know Google says. Right. They're actually guiding them in a scientific direction and have them on a trajectory, a plan, because chronic disease is... You know, in medicine, there's no cure for chronic for many chronic diseases, right. right? Whereas in naturopathic medicine, we think that there is reversal of chronic disease, and we see that, right? Because once we in, once we implement a lifestyle plan that maybe the patient's been avoiding sleep, for instance, like lack of sleep probably is the number one negative behavior that yeah, like chronic disease patients all across the board exhibit is not going to bed before midnight, maybe never have, maybe not be having being able to sleep as children. And that can also, you know, feed into traumas and things like negative experience that the child's been, that the person has been through, through childhood or through adolescence or, but so, you know, we want to correct those behaviors that are just not working for the, for the patient in a scientific and supportive way, not in a judgmental way right. either. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, one problem with that with society today and sleep that I see is a lot of people sit on their cell phones as they're mm-hmm. laying in bed, mm-hmm. wondering why they can't fall asleep. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, that's a good place for, I usually start with my clients is like, okay, put the cell phone in a, another room and plug it in for the night and charge yeah. it, you know? Yeah. I mean, we definitely have to address the basics of lifestyle. How is this person sleeping? How is this person eating? How is this person exercising? How is or moving? How is this person interacting? How is this person pooping? Right? Like these are all the basic physiologies, and the way that the body heals itself is by addressing these kind of basics and returning them to normal. If whenever we can. And then that's how we see reversal of symptoms, right? It's not a top-down approach, but right. I mean, definitely supplements help and medications help, but generally those are not the ways, those are not the way out of chronic disease. Right. Yeah. Is to keep, you know, is, and that's something that yeah, also work, I work on also is, is keeping in the pair of a sympathetic mode versus a, the sympathetic mode, you know, just the basics of getting them to relax. Yeah. Stress management is such a key component. And so whether... And stress is being driven by the lack of sleep, by how yeah how we emotionally deal or how the patient emotionally deals with with experiences, by how they eat and how you know even hunger being a trigger for stress, for instance. And um, so 
if we can help them, as you said, get into parasympathetic mode or if we can help balance their cortisol levels, that's always a key. Um, assessing cortisol is always a key right. in terms of chronic disease management because whether or not the chronic disease came from stress, cortisol imbalances or years of chronic stress or whether they're suffering from the stress of having a chronic disease, depending on how long they're living with it, it's always part of the picture. Absolutely always. So one thing that I see with a lot of people with chronic disease and have chronic disease is they feel like they've been abandoned by the conventional medical system and giving prescriptions and just saying, okay, come back and see me in six months. How do you feel about that as a part of that? Yeah, I don't think it's any secret that the healthcare system or conventional medicine doesn't address chronic disease well or doesn't manage chronic disease well. I mean, here we are living in America, or even if you have viewers, listeners listen, you know, from Canada or anywhere else in the Western we are Americans die of chronic disease, right? The six most common chronic diseases are all mostly all lifestyle related, generally in the category of preventable illnesses. And so with all the research and resources that we're putting in, that medicine's putting into chronic disease, I mean, we can't even lower blood pressure effectively, right? Right, so, exactly. I mean, um, so absolutely in terms of patients feeling that conventional medicine is not addressing their question. I mean, there's this this missing silo of information between what medicine can do, which is basically they can assess, they can diagnose, they can examine, uh, which is all great. And they can do that very detailed, you know, very finitely, very acutely. And then they can basically treat with pills or medications or surgeries. And that's basically what they can do. And, and patients have so many more questions about how did I get there? Why do I have this? How did this develop? And those are questions that, first of all, there's not time within a 15-minute appointment within one's doctor's, office, right. doctor's appointment to answer that question. And that answer is... Conventional physicians are not really trained to answer those questions, why you got this. Right. You know, we might know because of this genetic aspect or but whether or not that doesn't empower a patient. So I think patients want to be empowered. Patients want to feel like they have choice. Patients want to feel like they can do something to help themselves in addition to following doctor's orders. And so all of that is a massive gap right. between you know, patients going to their doc- patients going to their doctors and doing everything the doctor says, even the very compliant patients doing what their doctor says, and still leaving feeling maybe abandoned or misheard or misunderstood. Or my patients talk a lot about just a lack of listening. You know, they say that I'm the only doctor that 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 will listen to all of their concerns, their whole story. Because that narrative aspect of, of medicine, of healthcare is so important. We're learning that's, that's, a, that's actually a discipline of medicine, or especially in research, that just the, the, the practice of telling your story is healing and, and therapeutic in itself, right? Because people, people don't develop chronic disease for no reason. Right. And this is, I think, another thing that's missing in medicine is understanding all the social 
maybe family dynamic aspects of in addition to, oh, okay, you didn't eat properly or you are predisposed to this genetically or because you're overweight or because you, you know, drink 50 alcoholic beverages a week or whatever, like all these right, right. yes, right? But there's always like a deeper, okay, why are you drinking 50 alcoholic beverages per week and what can we do about this? And what can you do about this at home? No. And I think this is where I really appreciate people like James Maskell, uh, Jeffrey Bland, and Chris Kresser, some of the other guys about pulling in the health coach community to help with the physicians. And I think that this is where I, I this is where my I hope to see before I pass away that there's this bond between not where a, a doctor says, well, because I had one client. I asked her to get some extra blood work and she was warned by the doctor, be careful who you're listening to. Mm -hmm. But I think we need to bridge this gap so that we can work together at this because, I mean, a lot of people go home with a chronic disease or let's say, let's take cancer, the big C for one, for instance. Mm -hmm. You're diagnosed with cancer. Okay, you're diagnosed with stage two cancer, stage three cancer, you're breast cancer. And and here's your options. But nobody is getting like to your point getting to what caused that i mean what did you drink a lot did you you know what are you eating a lot of sugar you know nobody gets to the sleep the stress nobody gets to that point in the physician's office because mm-hmm. to, to your point they only have like we said 15 minutes of time mm-hmm. so this is where our role your role and our role comes in as a as a health coach to say okay let's dig deeper and find out what's causing this so that we can help you and do the self-care that needs to be taken care of as you're progressing into a, and hopefully reversing the chronic disease. Yeah. When I was, when I was in college and undergrad, I volunteered for the Breast Cancer Resource and Support Center in Toronto. And they were a phenomenal organization. I mean, they were supporting women and their families who had been diagnosed with breast cancer, uh, answering all sorts of questions. It was it was almost like telemedicine, telehealth coaching at the time. I mean, health coaching didn't exactly exist at that, at that point, providing all sorts of resources, where you could get more support, where you could find out about genetics, what testing, further testing that you could do. But their huge hang-up was avoiding asking patients why this happened? What could you have done in your life that contributed this? Because they were very sensitive to the blaming the victim. And so there's, we also have to identify that when we're asking these questions about what we did do, it's only to, it's not to judge or blame the victim, right? It's always to say, what can we do differently to move on to facilitate healing? And that's another area that you know doctors are not trained in in behavioral medicine. I think they feel a loss uh, of conventional practitioners feel a loss unless they actually are therapists to counsel or coach patients on how to make changes in their everyday life because that's not something that they're the coach, ah. that's not something they're taught, right. and that's something that health coaches are expert in, and holistic physicians as well. We we know how to go down that route to facilitate behavioral changes in the patient without blaming them, and but to facilitate the positive, the positive changes that can result from identifying and addressing those negative behaviors that could have got you to this place that you can either simply or maybe not simply, maybe it's a long term to go, you know, to change that habit. 
Um, but at least it can be something that's in the works. Right, right. So, you know, and there's even research to show that it's not only doctors that help people, like because this aspect of self-care is so important. And again, you know, most health happens at home because this is where people spend most of their time. Or you could say most healthcare happens at work or most detrimental aspects of health because this is where all the stress is, happens at work. It doesn't happen in the hour, the 15 minutes that you're seeing the doctor. Right. You know, and it doesn't even, it might happen with the management if you're compliant. And this is where... You know, a lot of research is, okay, aspects of self-care are like, how compliant are you to, to your doctor? Do you get testing? Do you get vaccines? Do you get pre-screens? Do you, get, do you, do you use, take preventative medicine to avoid it getting worse, right? But it's like from, from where we're sitting is like, no, how do we promote our health? How do we re- change those behaviors on an ongoing basis? How do we deal with stress? How do we get to sleep better? How do we eat better? How do we inundate our bodies with superfoods and nutrients that are going to reduce that inflammation and heal that gut? And so this silo of holistic medicine, whether you want to call it functional medicine, naturopathic medicine, uh, natural approach to healing is a massive missing gap from literature that really concerns me because patients are not being given this as an as a valid option at their doctor's offices oftentimes that they can actually use in order to learn how to do effective self-care. Listen, you're, not, you're right, you're right, 100%, because it's not even addressed normally in the doctor's office. No. I mean, it might be addressed in terms of, they might ask, how are you sleeping? Right. How are you eating? Do you eat vegetables? You know, do you poop once a week or something? But like the range of normals and then whether or not the doctor engages in that, in those answers, right? You can ask the question and then receive the answer, but do you engage in those answers? Those, that's, what, that's what we do. And we have been taught to engage in those answers and to facilitate those changes. But then it's still up to the patient to do it on a daily basis. The patient still is the one that has to do it, right? We can't live the life for the patient. So these are all the details that need to be addressed and considered in the treatment of chronic disease and self-care for chronic disease treatment, prevention as well, but, but treatment. Uh, yeah, very true. Very true. I, I think that's very important points. And so where do we start with self-care? What are some of your self, where do you like to go with self-care with somebody with chronic disease? What do you, where do you, how do you find out which direction to go with them? And what self-care to apply? So it's about, it's always individual, but it is about an assessment, doing an assessment as to what they're doing currently. If anything. Yeah, if anything. Most people are, most people, yeah, it's true. Most people who come into my office are doing a lot actually. Okay. Okay. But certainly listeners at home or we all might know people who are really not doing much other than just following doctor's orders and they've maybe never been had an awareness that it's an option that they could do something proactive to help them you know, with their AFib or with their cancer or with their arthritis or something other than just do what the doctor says. So that is really important. This is, I mean, exposure to the concept that self-care is not just... Uh, going to the spa and applying, you know, doing your nails and getting your hair done and all that kind of thing, right? That the self-care is actually, uh, the purpose of self-care is to help the individual initiate daily activities that is going to reduce symptoms and 
improve their quality of life. There's actually a health benefit with it. So we assess what the patient's doing, how often they're doing it, whether it's having an effect. You know, I generally tend to also ask, you know, why they chose that thing. Was it recommended by somebody? Did they read it somewhere? Is it working for them? How do they know it's working? And so we want to just have a general picture of in terms of all the aspects of the self, which are emotions, relationships, physical, uh, daily routine, uh, which is you know nutrition and exercise, workload, stress levels, how they cope with stress. So we just ask about all of these aspects, making time for themselves, sleep, just all the things we've talked about, how those how long they're how long they're spending if those hours that they're spending or minutes that they're spending doing that are effective and where the gaps are what they're not doing at all and of course if somebody's eating a perfect diet or if somebody you know removed gluten a long time ago and removed dairy a long time ago in their diet then we're not going to spend a whole lot of extra time on the diet maybe their diet's great you know right. and so then we have to turn the the attention to the next thing and to the pain points the part the, the points that really are driving those cortisol levels out or driving that inflammation level up, you know? So we can do a series of testing also based on what their symptoms are. If we suspect that there's GI issues, if we suspect those hormone issues, if we suspect there's nutrient deficiencies or even what shows up already in the blood work that's been done with the doctor. And you have to prioritize. You have to prioritize what to do first, what's going to generate the bet, the most change early on for the patient so that they can see results um, of their of their changes in behavior, but also what's going to affect the disease process in the, in the long term, right? So as a practitioner, you have to make those decisions as to you te- treating the branch and you're treating the root all right. at the same time. And it's going to be something that's manageable for the, for the patient. So I do also tend to start with, you know, I'm, I'm trained in cognitive behavioral therapy and psychodynamic psychotherapy and I do tend to follow this, do what's easy first right? Uh, when it comes to self-care because of the list, let's say we, we assess that, okay, you need, you, know, you need to increase fiber. We need to get you pooping. You need to increase water and you need to turn off your screens or you need to sleep better. How can we facilitate these changes? And then you ask the patient, what would be easiest for you to do? What do you think you'd be able to do successfully? Because you also want to empower a patient, especially with self-care. Like self-care should actually feel good to the innocent part of the person. So I like to say that self-care, you do it for the four-year-old self inside you. You do it for the innocent part inside you because there's always ways to do things that are fun or naughty. or There's always ways to get pleasure, right? Self-care is not just about pleasure. Self-care is actually about taking care of that innocent part of you that may have been neglected or may or may is not is not being um, addressed in your daily life right now they got pushed out somehow right yeah that's a, I like that that's a good that's really good it's uh it's you know it's it's very gentle it's very unalarming and not every style of coach is like this I also appreciate coaches that are like you do this <laughs> and you be accountable in this way and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna check in every day and um, I think that's great too because some people definitely a lot of people actually do need a lot of accountability and I do provide that as well but you can connect a person with the aspects of themselves that they're neglecting by asking them to tune into that 
part of themselves that is more childlike or more innocent or more or quieter. Because it's all about ultimately you do want to you do want to, you know, it's like I don't want my patients to need me forever. Honestly, I don't. I want my patients to take the tools that I give them and for their body to go through a healing, to go through the healing process and for them to be able to manage it themselves, right? You want to be, you don't want to be indispensable to your patient. Right. I mean, maybe it's bad for business, but like it's better for <laughs> right. integrity in the long run, right? right? Yeah, because you don't, you don't want to, yeah. If you keep something hanging over them, yeah, it's not a good thing. No. And so you need so you need it to click, right? You, right. Need, you want it to click with the person that what they're doing is benefiting them and that they and that they know how it's benefiting them. And that it's not just because you're telling them that it's gonna help them that it's a benefit, but that they actually are feeling that as well. And so that's also where some of the time of self-care comes in because that requires reflection. Okay. But then that's also a great way to put somebody in parasympathetic mode. So, <laughs> is reflection, reflection, yeah. meditation, yeah. quiet time, journaling, right, journaling. Yeah, so people can start to to devote that those kind of that practical time for themselves towards even if they're just you know reflecting on is my disease getting better, or am I feeling more limber, or is my mindset improved, or. Now you said you deal with do you do a lot of dementia stuff? I do deal with I wouldn't say I deal a lot with dementia, okay. but I definitely do deal work with people who have memory loss. I mean, depending on the the age of my patients tends to be between thirty and sixty five years old. Okay. That's the majority. And so I think so people who are dealing with seniors probably work with dementia a lot more than I do. But memory loss is definitely a side effect of, of any chronic disease. Right. Lack of focus. People think that they're getting dementia. I have a lot of patients who think they're getting dementia. I end up doing um, mini mental status tests or mental status tests on patients because they're so distracted and they're so stressed out that they can't remember things properly. So we definitely work on improving memory that's part of that is definitely part of self care. That's a that's a good outcome actually. Is that okay. people can focus better. What kind of tools do you use for that? Do you like I I, I you know with my mother, I I you know have to do puzzles and stuff to get to get you know to keep her mind focused on something like just different moving different shapes around or coloring. I got her a coloring book too, so she can practice that. Mm-hmm. Is that some of the things you do for the the memory lo- or okay? Yeah, so you play games. Um, you do ha- have surprise surprises. So maybe not huge surprises, depending on how right. fragile the patient is. But you want to, you know, suggest a different route home or throw them off course somehow with a joke. You know, it's the unpredictable events in the day, uh, but also reduction of screen time because. Studies show that watching television is a way to it programs the brain to expect the same all the time. Mm-hmm. And the more hours people watch of screen time, the less smart they are because they're always anticipating the same result. So less screen time is definitely better for more reasons than just sleep. That's right. Yeah. 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 I, I haven't I, I don't even know why I have a TV. I never turn it on. Oh, that's good. Yeah, except for football season. Right, okay. 
And now for a little general housekeeping. If you are enjoying this episode, I'd greatly appreciate it if you would go to whatever app you are listening to this on and rate and review the show and share it with your friends. Thank you very much. Now, if you've been listening to my episodes for the last couple of years, you'll know that I key on gut health quite frequently in my episodes because honestly, gut health is king. And pretty much all disease begins in the gut, as Hippocrates said back in 420 BC. So that's a reason I key on gut health quite frequently because if you're trying to do something simple is just lose weight, your gut health is key. So I have been developing a gut health cheat sheet over the last few months for you to download. And you can obtain this gut health cheat sheet by texting the word gut health, two words, gut health to 773-770-4377. Again, gut health to 773-770-4377. Thank you. And I hope you continue to enjoy this episode and make it a great day. Let's talk about some self-care tips and, and, and tools and where we can go and, and what some of the things are that we do, you do, and, or I do too. I mean, I've got some, you know, like I said, the coloring books, one I always do for my mother and, and some of the older people that I know. But what are some of the things that you do in your practice or some of the self-care tips for people out there who are suffering from chronic disease listening to this show? Well, meditation, I think, is the most important that if we look at society as to what society is not doing, especially, I mean, I live in New York, you live in Atlanta, depending on where people are living, we don't get enough time in nature. We don't get enough time, we don't get enough time away from stimulus. So giving the mind a break going inwards, giving people that third eye experience. You go to the, the mind inside your mind to become more objective on your life. Because the sensation of stress where we're feeling backed into a corner, we're feeling there's no choice. We're feeling like we don't have enough time in the day. We're feeling like we can't get everything that we need to get done. It's a type of our point of view is too close to the... It's like we have to back up in order to see distance, in order to create distance. And that meditation, I think, is the best way to do that, to create space, time, uh, objectivity, fewer thoughts. Okay. You know, the goal is to create fewer thoughts. If we can create fewer thoughts, then more intelligence. We create more room for epiphanies and intelligent, self-driven thoughts that come from the wiser area of our own selves, which we all have. Because the other thing that I think is that about the importance of self-care is that a doctor, even a doctor like myself, as wonderful as I believe my medicine is, is not the answer to healthcare. I think I personally feel passionate about the fact that each individual is the answer to their own condition. We all have that knowledge deep within inside ourselves. We know how we got here. And people generally tell us, right? Like, right. you know, 
if you see patient in your practice, you ask them how they got here, they can tell you a timeline. It's like, well, I've always thought it was because of this. I always right. had that accident. I always thought so. Nobody ever corroborated it. The doctor didn't think so. But I always thought, you know, it was like, or I was never well since this event or as soon as I took myself off of eating red meat, then all of this stuff happened. And, and it's stuff that seems illogical sometimes, right? Because people, right. I'm doing a good thing by stopping red meat. And yet they don't stop to consider the fact that now they're eating chicken seven times a, a week <laughs> and that that can bring its own inflammatory issues, right? So giving oneself the space to, for reflection is the single most important benefit for, that, that one can do for oneself. Okay. That can come in all different ways. People can get that space, that meditation, that reflection in all sorts of different ways. And that's can be personality driven. What do you do for somebody who has difficulty meditating? There's so many different ways to meditate. Okay. And so, you know, there's lots of apps now, Headspace, Calm, where it's simply they take you through a guided meditation. So if you if that's good for people, they tend to follow instructions well, they can do that. It's also very easy because it's on your phone. You can catch five minutes away from work at lunch, on a break, even at your desk if you're able to put air, earphones in or earbuds. A very simple way to meditate is simply to count your breathing. You simply count in for five, you count out for five, you count in for five, and you count out for five. And all you're doing is counting. Okay. So, you know, people complicate meditation because they think they actually have to clear their mind in order to be meditating. And it's like, well, in order to be meditating, I have to clear my mind. So how do I clear my mind? It's clearing my mind that is clearly the problem. I don't know how to clear my mind. Thinking, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so people drive themselves crazy thinking they're failing at meditation. Right. I'm one of those people, by the way. <laughs> and this is just perpetuating the excuse or the inability right. to calm the brain, right? Because... It's not, you don't have to get rid of all the thoughts in order to be meditating. Meditating is the process by where thoughts slow down and our intellect gains control over our thought patterns. So thoughts come in during meditation and you just allow them to go out. Whereas in our normal life, if we're not focusing on our thoughts, then thoughts come in and then they lead us to another thought and it leads us to another thought and it leads us to another thought. And oftentimes these are bad thoughts, right? right? Like, what if this happens? This happens. Oh no, this reminds me of when this happened and this happened that time and then this happened. And then you, along the way, you start getting mad at everybody and blaming yourself and beating up on yourself and you kind of take yourself through this whole emotional and mental tailspin. Whereas with meditation, it's simply you breathe, <laughs> you find that place that, third eye in the center of your forehead, that eye that's within your eye, and you focus on a theme, whether it's breathing, whether it's that you're, a, you know, you can pick a, a theme like a mantra, like I am good enough, I am worthy. Some people do that. Or you listen to music, you listen to Mozart, Bach, you listen to something that's kind of soothing, scientifically soothing. I wouldn't recommend death metal. <laughs> yeah, Metallica won't work very well for. <laughs> as much as I love Metallica, right? Not good for meditation. Not for good for meditation. No. Or you simply uh, focus on a theme like I'm a traveler. I'm a guest in this world. Uh, I'm new here. I see the world with fresh eyes, and so it's you can think something else, which is positive and new and refreshing, 
And even if a worry comes in, then you just work on allowing that worry to go out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, meditation is probably the number one in my book also. So, I mean, I I don't do very well at it. I ended up, uh, I use a a thing called the Huzo that I did an episode on, which is a human sound. And I do that for like 30 minutes twice a day. And it's just, uh, it's pretty cool. It's, it keeps, it relaxes me. So, uh, what are some, what, what else do you do? Let's go from meditation to the next. I mean, I, I know that walking is a good one for me. Being in nature, like you said, yeah. mm-hmm. is a great one. Yeah. Grabbing uh, time in nature is, I mean, there's studies that show that forest bathing, right? They call it Japanese forest bathing, I guess is where it was first researched. But anytime you can get into nature and be intentional, and you don't even have to be deep in the woods. You can be right. at the park right. and you just get intentional with it. So you just, you know, admire the leaves, the trees, the bark, the water, the, the fresh air on your face. It's kind of like about admiring and it's also taking out, removing yourself from all the electronics and, you know, there's that aspect as well. But nature is soothing because it's such a, it's so fresh on our senses, all of our senses. It's a, it's, it is like a bath, right. it's an immersion and all it, parasympathetic. Right. It's, that's awesome. That's all beauty. Yeah. I mean, you when, can when, feel the that. sun, you can feel the wind, you can see the nature, you can hear the rippling, you can hear the leaves. And it's just a sensory, it's a sensory uh, vacation. Oh yeah. I did that last night a little bit. I went down to the Chattahoochee River and just sat there and watch the water flow and was actually praying about my sister. So, you know, so that was a, I, I like that part of the, I like the nature part a lot. Yeah. And I think that that is, I mean, that is a meditation because it's, nobody has to do it all the same way. I mean, if you're able to calm your thoughts, take yourself out of the stress that you're in, the more we can do that on a daily basis, no matter what the tools are that we do, that's being that's effective because then that's going to give us those breaks, those breaks of time that we're not overthinking, dwelling, working, stressing, okay. focusing on the pain. Um, people can also, especially people who have chronic pain, they can also you know notice like journal those things like how do I feel when I'm in nature versus how I feel when I'm at home in bed even or how do I feel when I'm walking versus how I feel when I'm sitting at my desk and purpose of journaling that is to notice like, oh, I feel better when I'm doing this and whatever allows you to feel better, you do more of it. Okay. So self-care is, is, is as simple as that too. It's, it's self-care feels good. It feels good, as I mentioned before, on that innocent self, but it's, it feels good on that part of yourself that identifies with, with less pain, less stress, less worry. Uh, more space. We we all owe it to ourselves to give that to ourselves as many times per day as we can. Right. And of course, you know, eating good food is also self care. Regular eating, regular food, good food, balancing blood sugar. That's also part of self care that we haven't talked about. I mean, cooking could actually be thrown in there too. The actual making of a dinner. Could be yeah. self care because it's so absolutely. I find it comforting. I love cutting up stuff and put some 
you know, put some jazz on and just go and start cooking. Yeah. Well, there's a Taoist expression, chop wood, carry water, right? Which is yeah. basically oh, doing nice. these mun- yeah. yeah, doing these mundane things every day. I mean, that could be licking envelopes, but chopping vegetables, chopping celery, onion, those are definitely these mundane chores. We could look at it that way, but then they are also meditative, reflective, give yourself time to have contact with your food. It invokes spirituality actually, because you can think about where the food came from and the how wonderful this world is. And you know, like <laughs> those are all really important. Yeah. It's very, very simple. It's not like you don't need to have... Um, I mean, I don't necessarily have a problem with like high-tech apps, but th- those are not necessarily the best path to self-care, right. right? Well, I mean, I think one of the things of self-care is detaching yourself from the electronics. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a huge part of uh, self-care. And uh, I, I know that there's some good meditation podcasts out there. A friend of mine, Shell Hamilton, has one called Meditation Minis. And so she self-guides you through a very less than 10-minute meditation. Mm-hmm. So, but you still, there's your, you have your phone again. So, I, you know, I really enjoy not having electronic device around when, I, when it's time for me to unwind. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There is, there is that fine line or it's, it's probably really not even that fine between electronics or technology being used as a tool to improve ourselves, whether that's for self-care or whether that's for learning actually, because learning is also a very important element of self-care. Oh, good point. Go, go on with that one a little bit. Yeah. So when you're, you know, if you think of yourself as a student of life, or if you're learning a new skill, or if you're setting yourself up to learn as opposed to being an expert all the time, or, or instead of being a dummy, you know, like whatever you think about right. yourself and your internal thoughts, right? Learning something new is using a different part of your brain. It's being an explorer. It's being curious. It's uh, increasing your focus, your confidence, um, and it's it's providing an elastic towards what you already know. So people who already believe that they know or have learned enough or are incapable of learning actually are more likely to get dementia, right? People. So it is a way to maybe not. It is a way to treat chronic disease also because by uh, improving yourself, you also gain confidence. You also, you gain rushes of endorphins, rewiring the circuit, reprogramming the brain. No matter what this, what, no matter what it, you can learn to co- be a computer programmer. You can learn to arrange flowers. You can learn to you know speak French. But anytime you're learning something new, you're allowing your brain to recircuit itself, use a different side of your brain, especially if it's something that you do other than work. Right. right. It's, it's, if it's if you are creative in your job, then try to learn something analytical. If you're analytical in your job, try to do something creative, because we tend to we tend to like relearn the things that we're good at and do things that we're good at. Whereas part of self care is expanding our base knowledge and participating in in studies or in uh, skill sets that we're unfamiliar with. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. So what's next on the self care list? We've got meditation, journaling, nature, nature, yeah, food prep, food prep. I like the food prep one. 
I like that too. And of course, eating and and so the food prep to extend that into yeah, the yeah. actual eating of it, because then you have controlled everything that's in it. You know where your food came from. There's actual a full circle process in having the satisfaction of eating something and enjoying something that you've prepared. And also, it's just more nourishing. There's not extra salt, sugar, harmful fats right. in it that you know you don't know what your favorite restaurant or takeout place is doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, plus you're now that take it a little bit further paying attention to what you're eating and how you're eating helps us with our gut health, which is ultimately, you know, the, the ultimate in charge of our disease gut. I mean, in my opinion, guts are non-negotiable. So, you know, your gut health is a non-negotiable. If it's not healthy, then uh, we have all this chronic disease that happens. So if yeah. you're, if you're cooking your meal, then sitting down to eat it and enjoy it instead of mm-hmm. shoveling it in, and then you're actually helping yourself there too. So that's the eating is definitely a self-care part. Absolutely. Actually, I just had a new patient the other day who has anxiety and, you know, diarrhea every time she eats. And I asked her in what situation she's eating. And every time she eats, her it's both of her parents bickering with her about, you know, when she's what she's gonna do tomorrow or what's you know right. all of her daily plans. And she said, Yeah, this is a time where we have our most argumentative conversations or at dinner. And so we do have to think about food hygiene, not just what's what we're eating, how we're preparing it, but also just engaging again. The parasympathetic nervous system is required in order to digest food, right? Right. And so when we're actively engaging in conversation or arguments, or even if we're watching the television or if we're physically running or moving, eating on the run, then our blood flow is not in our stomach where we need it to be digesting our food. It's actually elsewhere. Our stress hormones are raised and we're not going to be able to digest the food, absorb the nutrients and maintain the gut integrity like we would, then we'll end up in like large pieces of food in our intestines, which is also promoting, you know, inflammation, leaky gut food sensitivities, all the rest, which, and you're right, you know, the gut is the root to all illness. I mean, we mentioned sleep as being a main contributor and stress as being main contributors to chronic disease, but absolutely digestive health is the most important physiological, physical, biochemical component to See, I see it time and time again, even with oh, myself. Yeah, every time. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, oh yeah, people get autoimmune diseases. I mean, people come in my office just diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, and I ask them about their gut health, and they might not have had gut health for twenty years, but they definitely have had gut health problems like twenty years ago, where they were right. taking PPIs, antacids. You know, had a period of their life where they were gassy and bloated all the time, and even if they don't have current symptoms, but now right. they have autoimmune disease, right? So right, exactly. this process progresses right. elsewhere. You don't, also, you don't always end up with the same symptoms. Okay, what's next on our self-care list? We've got some digital tools. I know we talked about not talking, I mean, not staying away from the digital, but there are some good tools. You mentioned a couple of them, uh, Headspace and Calm, uh, 10% Happier. There's... What's Fitbit, that? Fitbit, Fitbit, Apple watches. People are, you know, any any application on one's phone can uh, measure their steps. Steps. My Fitness Pal for food. Fugicate is another one of those. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, sleepio. I don't know what sleepio is, but I think it helps. It measures um, how deeply you're sleeping. Okay. Well, Fitbit can do that too, and the yeah. Apple Watch too. I think like how how many sleep apneas you have, and like you know how many gaps in breathing you have. So there can be a lot of yeah. good information that's given. And now they have a ring, an Aura. Uh-huh. It's called the Aura. The measure biorhythms. I think it measures the same way a the iWatch does. I'm not sure. I've really never dug into it. it measures pulse. Yeah, maybe. I, you put it on your ring finger, and I think that's where mm-hmm. the Measures the pulse. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it measures. Yeah. So what your base metabolic rate is, how your heart rate goes down while you're sleeping. So yeah, I mean, all those tools, you know, and like the self tracking, the biohackers, and things like that. I mean, getting (laughs) hyper engaged, right, in every aspect of what they're eating and how deeply they're breathing, and but there's a that is not necessarily evidence-based at this point. So just because we're tracking does not mean we're actually improving. And I think also anything that comes out of Silicon Valley is so app-driven or technology-driven. And so again, is it like bringing you onto the computer more right. often or is it taking you Taking off? away. Yeah. Exactly. I prefer to be taken away from it. Yeah. When I'm going to get away. I mean, I, you know, I think we all have worked... I mean... You know, that's the other part is that even even if we don't have a chronic disease or illness, we all are, get to that sympathetic mode a lot quicker than we do the parasympathetic mode. Parasympathetic mode, for the yes. most part. Yes, definitely. Yeah, we're, we're we're programmed to go there. We know how to over respond and freak out and. <laughs> right. I mean, that happens. On, I mean, at, at day, today has been that way. You know, before we go today. What tips or tricks or things you'd like to leave with the listeners that you, we haven't mentioned yet? Well, part of self-care is also having fun. So that's really important to make sure that you're laughing every day. And again, that's about those encephalins and endorphins, those feel-good hormones, because there are ways to or um, there are ways to feel joy and not just have a lack of stress, right? Because sometimes we put it like, oh, you just have to reduce your stress. But right. like, well, what is reducing stress exactly? It's like having more joy. So how do you do things that make you feel connected, engaged, laughing, joking, pleasured, and sex is in there too, you know? Like how do we liberate like and, and get oxytocin feelings? And, you know, that can be also with a pet, with a child, spending time with a pet, a child, but any way that things that give us pleasure Again, I would say in that innocent way as opposed to in that kind of way that adults can be. (laughs) 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 You know, in the innocent way, what gives you pleasure, do that more because then you have a more fulfilling, you have a more fulfilling life, a better quality of life. And people who actually have chronic disease also need to focus on enjoying their lives. And there's a lot to adapt when you have a chronic disease, especially if you have a new diagnosis or if you have an un- ongoing non-diagnosis, but you have a series of symptoms, because then the, the aspect of having a being chronically ill can be your entire life. And there is an emotional adjustment that's required to being sick. And even to being, even to having cancer, for instance, that you can be healthy and happy with cancer. You can be healthy and happy with chronic fatigue. 
and you can think of it as temporary or you can think of it as you can still have a positive and hopeful mentality that you are going to kick it or you're going to get over it or you know it's, this is this is temporary and i would rec- i would recommend that but also in the fact that not holding off everything until i get better or you know i'm i'm right. miserable in chronic disease because i have chronic disease and i have all these symptoms so it is really important to experience joy to experience pleasure to experience happiness even when having chronic disease and so and not to put it off or put off things you want to do until you get better okay that's the part of the balancing act that's so important you have to live life now exactly which is not to say you want to push everything and overextend yourself and right. push it you know that 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 I'm just going to push on or persevere that also can be very a bad approach for people with chronic disease because it might mean less sleep or too much exercising or overexercising or trying to do activities that one used to do when they were well that's not applicable anymore so one also has to find new things that they can do that provides them joy which may be Maybe the same things, but toned down. Maybe not. Maybe yoga, but not power yoga. Maybe yin yoga, or maybe going to Coney Island, but not going on the roller coaster. Going on the kitty ride, or you know, just like a, a toned right. down experience, or um, you know, going out with your girlfriends or your or your guys, and not you know having alcohol, but like still going out. You right. know, so like. There might be a toned down way that you can engage in things that used to be fun or finding fun in new things, maybe new skills or new new experiences, new groups, new support systems with other chronically ill people also can be important. So, Oh, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Like groups of people in the same boat. Yeah, expanding. Yeah. Sharing some positive positivity instead of negativity about they're all here in the same group. Yeah, that'd be yeah. good. Yeah, exactly. And and you have things in common with people automatically. And I mean, this is why I think chat groups are important, but this is also why I, I formed the virtual health club is so, so that we can have a safe space to talk about, you know, disease prevention or disease and disease management. We can learn, we can be educated, but we can also, you know, have fun and share. Right. And, uh, I think that that's really important. I think it's important to, it's important to devote time and conscientious time to not only the disease, but also having experiencing a good life with the disease. So it does require changes in mindset for people. And that's, there's no negotiation about that, but it does require people to change their mindset and to rethink about how their life is in the present. But that's, um, that's valuable because then it allows you to be, to work with the work from the place that you are now. That's awesome. All right. Tell us about the Virtual Health Club and what you're, you've got a couple giveaways here today. I do. I have one giveaway. So if they go to the self care assessment link that I provide you, okay. netmedcoach.com forward slash self care assessment, then you can go through a questionnaire to see where we look at how well you're doing in your emotional, your relationship, your physical, uh, your work life in terms of balancing your self care. And then we'll send you a self care gift based on your answers. We'll send you a tool that we believe that you would benefit oh, very from. Cool. Okay. And so um, be prepared for it to be different than what you're already doing. (laughs) And so, because that's part of the deal, right? You have to get better in different aspects of self care. And also, we, so we do have, I do have a weekly self care club. And every week we offer a different 
coaches and functional medicine practitioners, naturopathic doctors who are coaching on different aspects of chronic disease prevention and treatment. And um, people sign up for a monthly on a monthly basis, and then they get access to the replays afterwards, unlimited for thirty days. And then we have other uh, tools and tips and self care in the news, and you know we're growing and expanding. So people who are your listeners can register for a month for twenty percent off if they use the code Rebel Twenty. Okay. So they can just register on the website, notmedcoach.com and use your code REBEL20 and then they'll get 20% off. So that's saving about $12. So it goes from $59 to $47.20 about there okay, for their cool. first month. Yeah, awesome. we'd love to have I'll people come out and try notes. it out. I'll definitely put that in the show notes. I am Great. a member somewhere. You are a member, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we, and we, we call it supervised self-care because people don't... We want to help people do the self-care that's going to be the best for them. Right. There's tons of things out there as to what you can do, what you can try. But we're not only providing technology, we're also providing counseling, peer mentorship, doctors, supervision, so that people can ask questions. They can come on a couple times a month and you know get answers to their questions about right. their supplement regime or their nutrition regime or what they need to do more of, as well as getting these content-based workshops. Okay, great. One question I have before we go that I didn't tell you about. If you had 30 minutes to an hour to sit and relax, Mm -hmm. what album or artist would you choose to listen to? Oh, this might be changing. Okay. It's always been Enya. (laughs) Enya? Yeah. Okay. Why is it changing? I'm curious. I don't think she makes music anymore. And so I've listened to her sail away so many times. Times that it's just maybe not doing it for me anymore. Okay. okay. Um, Fair enough. These days, I'm listening to space, space-based binaural beats. Very um, I love, I love binaural beats. Um, I find they're really effective, and I love. Okay. I feel like with that, with kind of space-themed, kind of electronic music, right? That's what just allows me to separate from myself, like okay. almost. And have that kind of yeah, that's cool experience. Yeah, that's one thing I like about the Mm -hmm. is it's uh, it's monks chanting, Mm -hmm. and it's also guys on didgeridoos, and they combine it. So it's like it's it's not binary boots, but it's like this like a a weird vibe sound that you listen to for thirty minutes, and it just puts you in this whole different world. Yeah. So, I love the trance experience where yeah, you can yeah. just um I mean I'm a I've been hypnotizing for hypnotizing people and myself for since for a long time for you, since 2006. Really? Yeah. You mm-hmm. self-hypnotize yourself? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, it's a tool that I've used for a, like a lot of my life although and and actually I've I was always less into meditation and more into hypnosis but now I'm actually into the process because with hypnosis you kind of go directly there you're just okay. you facilitate the theta waves or the brain waves that you kind of want to get to, like you know where that place is when you're experienced with self-hypnosis and you just go directly there. Whereas with meditation, you actually go through the process of getting there, of slowing down the brain waves. And these way, these days, I'm liking that more. I'm kind of liking the journey, I guess, instead of the destination. You can oh, say. cool. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on the show today. I appreciate you and I hope to see you soon. I don't think it will be this October for the retreat, but it will, 
I'm going to get up to New York and I think I was going to get together with Dr. Selassie uh-huh. when I got up there. So maybe we could, all three of us could have coffee somewhere. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, let me know either in Brooklyn or the city. Yeah, I'm going, I'm at, well, yeah, it'll be in Brooklyn area or, or she's not in Brooklyn, so we might have to go she's figure in Brooklyn. it out. Yeah, she is in Brooklyn? Yeah, she's okay. in East New York, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, she's far out, you know. Far out of, okay. She's like on the East East New York. But I'll be in the Park Slope areas where I'll be staying, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll out, can always, yeah we can always meet there. Yep, or we can go to take Ubers. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, thank hey, you very great, much. Tom. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I hope you got some good stuff. Oh, it's good. It was awesome. I enjoyed doing these with you. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you for joining in today with the Rebel Health Coach, Tom Underwood. And be sure to subscribe to the show so you can catch all the episodes. With desire and commitment, you can implement a lifestyle of wellness and fitness. For the support, encouragement, and tools you need to be successful, visit TomUnderwood.net.